Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So why is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome back to the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ando. And just like that, we are back again. Happy time-related holiday, my friends. I hope you had an uh, enjoyable one, and I hope you can still count ten fingers on your hands and uh, you know two eyes in your face. We are blazing into the new year with this fantastic talk with two of the folks from 68 Art Institute, based here in Copenhagen. For those who don't know, 68 is a forward-thinking curatorial uh, research platform it's a it's a space which is run by some folks who are uh, tremendously engaged with thinking about art and thinking about how art can interact with the real world on uh, on so many different levels so i had the pleasure of talking to even elstrom one of the founders of 68 and hugo hopping who is a active board member and an artist and uh, i think the result is uh, to be honest, truly one of the most interesting episodes we've ever done. It is on the longer side, and that is simply because we touch on so many interesting and contemporary topics, and uh, it all just seems so relevant. So I'll leave it at that. Please enjoy my talk with Eben and Hugo. been very curious about what you guys do and I'm very interested in um, the kind of world of these independent run spaces in Denmark um, I guess I should start by asking a little bit about the history of the program like where did you guys start and I know you've also made a change recently with what you do but when did it open and, and how did it open what was the impetus for that well, um, 68 was initiated in 2010, so it has some years already. Um, Six years. Yeah. But uh, we opened the first show in 11, but we sort of started to renovate the building in, I think, November 2010. Uh, and it was out in Amma uh, at a place called PP43, PP340, which was a creative... Uh, assembly where uh, architects, artists, designers, musicians uh, all shared um, these quite big factory uh, buildings. Hmm. It was shut down in 2014. Let me guess, it's really nice apartments now. Or it's uh, it's, they have emptied out the space and uh, it was sold to an international investor, mm -hmm. uh, even though we also tried to uh, actually bid on it uh, on the auction. Um, it was sold to an investor and um, first the idea was that it was going to be self-storage uh, hotels uh, until they could move in to, to build like later when the prices would probably go up more. But now there's actually a conflict over the site with the municipality out in Amar. Um So they have a conflict with the, with the new owner around some, uh, I, I, I don't know the details, but some use of the land. And the council wants to buy the uh, the, the spot back hmm. uh, so that they can have uh, 
art or uh, a cultural site. That is not a story you hear very often. No, and uh, they said, "Oh, we should, we should, we have this great idea. We should, you know, have containers and have artists uh, come here." And we were like. Excuse you, excuse you. It was not uh, your idea, and uh, and you could have supported us when you when we asked for it. But right. um, but that's the thing. It can be a bit slow here to talk to politicians about um, these uh, things. Sure. City development. Well, you never know what you're missing until you lose it. No, no, exactly. But uh, we started it there, and it was really uh, nice for us to be in such a creative environment. There was a lot of support uh, amongst the creatives. Uh, at PB43, and I think that really, in particular, helped me to to form uh, the space and mm. form its audience also, and the program to some extent. Uh, although I was clear from the beginning that I wanted a program for the city that um, made possible for Danish artists to work together with artists from abroad, because I came back from London at the time where I was studying. Um, and felt like there was something missing in the scene. Hmm. Uh, so did you start it on your own, basically? I started together with Christopher Sand Iverson, uh, who is uh, an art historian slash visual cultural student. Hmm. Uh, he's uh, British, uh, but uh, has a Danish father like you. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, um, and has lived here for yeah, quite some years now, probably... Oh, I'm guessing now 12 years or something. Mm. So we founded it, uh, the, the two of us. Uh, and Christopher is also still uh, involved in 68 and doing uh, editorial works and, and other bits. Um, and what did you study? First, I studied art, uh, fine art, uh, as an artist, as a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, and later, I studied curating. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a combination of the two. It's a good position to come from. I think it helps when you when you work with uh, with curatorial projects. Sure, and just having some sort of understanding of uh, of, of production, you know, yeah. and practice. Practice, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you opened it in 2010, mm-hmm. and then when did you guys move? Uh, we had to be out uh, by the end of uh, 2014 in mm-hmm. the other building. Okay. Um, so we were looking for new spaces. Um, quite a lot of different places in town and a little bit by coincidence uh, some people that I knew um, had an, a little extra room uh, above uh, a bar that they were going to open in the city center called Balderdas and uh, then they asked us if we wanted to use the space because they knew we were desperately looking for something <laughs> so that came about uh, and we opened the first show in December 2014 in the city center hmm. uh, in and that's where you are now yeah and that's where we are now. well i mean god knows you are very it's a good location you're right there in the middle of the city it's yeah. you know it's it's front and center no one can say oh it's so far away i didn't make it out uh, no. no you know like some other spaces perhaps could yeah. say maybe it was like that more when you were out on uh, on ama the absolutely. island south of the city here absolutely um, we did a lot to audience build in AMA. Uh, we did something called First Friday, which mm, gathered all the galleries and some of Mariana the Mariana and Niels Borg. Yes. And, okay, so were you guys around that area in, in Northern? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I initiated the, the project, um, mm. collaborating with all these different peoples because I felt like there was also lacking this visibility of uh, the industrial area out there and what you could actually experience in it. So, 
Copenhagen so, has that weird thing where people are like, oh, Valbu, that's so far away. And you're like, dude, it's 10 minutes by bike. It's right there. Like if people live in London, yeah. like 45 minutes yeah, yeah. out of the city center exactly. and it's still exactly. London, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and Amma is an amazing area because it's full of artists, uh, either living or working there and musicians as well. Mm-hmm. Prague's Boulevard is, uh, I would say, one of the, maybe not right now, but was one of the most kind of dense uh Areas for uh, or neighborhoods for creative people. Absolutely, Stu- uh, studios, musicians, mm-hmm. all kinds. And I guess a lot of people would never even go out there. Not so much anymore because most of the spaces has closed. Yeah. The, the the ones that were publicly open right. in in that part. I, I would say also that sixty eight art space, what it was called then, mm. when even was there. She also introduced this other program. Uh, with uh, Chris, uh, it was modeled after the London one, which is uh, First Fridays in London. Yeah, the yeah. one we were just. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 the, but then here it became First Tuesdays, right? Um, I can't remember exactly. It, it was the other way around. The we other way called, around. We called it uh, First Friday, and of yeah. course, yeah, it, it was a program that I experienced in in London, and yeah. in London, it's. Um, it's a much bigger thing because it's it a involved, huge thing. It's a yeah. huge thing, and it involves most of the part of the East East London scene. And right. it's actually, I right. think it's even spreading now. And now it became, or when I left London at that time, it was already getting so popular that they had buses shipping people around. It okay. became it became almost a bit touristic for them, and a lot of more serious spaces pulled away from from it. But uh, mm. that didn't matter for me because. The, the the concept it was easy to understand and uh, easy to sort of uh, introduce lift, lift and and introduce here and, and that was, that's what I, I mean it was that what was great about even introducing that into that area is that it was kind of the first time in Copenhagen that you could see very clearly like the connection with Arma and Christianshavn and 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 the connection culturally between the two areas. Mm-hmm that program really connected it and it brought into visibility very quickly, like places that really were f- struggling to try to get people to cross it over to Amapo Boulevard, to, to, yeah. who, who wanted to come over. They wanted an audience to come over. So this small little pamphlet that listed everything got people to actually move and cross Christiansound, which was, I mean, like you were saying, value was far away. Yeah, for some reason, there was a, in those years, 10, 2010, 11, and 12, for it was very difficult for some people to cross over. Right, which is literally like five minutes on bike. It's over right. a bridge and down a street, and you're there. Yeah. It's so close physically. <laughs> but but what was re- really great about that also is that you could see you, you could see that there's so much emphasis from planning, uh, uh, from the city urban planning department to try to activate areas in Copenhagen and here comes a young curator from a, a, a Danish curator that has like an idea just purely modeled on a cultural template from London and then made a very clear connection between the two areas without having to create any new urbanism. Right, right. You it's know? as easy as it can get, really. Right, but it was all based on a cultural interface. Hmm. And, and, and the success of that is because it came in and putting all these things stamped out. So getting the space downtown after we were we, we lost the space was actually sort of uh, also coming out of this process mm-hmm. because we're not so far from Christianshavn, but it, it, it kind of like still 
put us within the area of this map. Right, you're within the area, the pre-decided area for arts in the city. <laughs> but that's pre- but that's actually from this actual. If you would see the map of, the, if you will pick up these maps from that time that were being published um, by even in, in the in the cohort around it, there was that was interested in this. You could see that 68 today falls within the circumference, mm. which is actually very interesting because if had 68 been doing it at that time, we would have been at in the, in the center part of that map. But, uh, I don't know necessarily if the center would have wanted to actually mm. connect with Ahmad mm. had even not been there. Right. So mm-hmm. like, in other words, it's, it's a, it's kind of a theoretical question that like, because she was an Ahmad, she was able to put the center back into the map, and, and that that is this is something that was quite kind of magical in that in the way that people were experiencing sort of the booming of of this art scene in Copenhagen. Yeah, and 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 simultaneously, a lot of people started opening up because the Danish Arts Council gave. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't know exactly when the Danish Arts Council became the Danish Arts Foundation, but in that mm-hmm. process, maybe it was with the new government, right? Yeah, it's sometime after we opened. Yeah, <clears throat> because in the beginning, I remember it was called. Yeah, exactly. I, I I just keep on making a mistake <clears throat> calling councils. It's yeah. the Arts Foundation. It's uh, by name only, really. <laughs> well, it's true. It's just there's a big political difference in the two concepts uh, right. that, that I think it's it's accurate to call it what it is. And 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 that, and then you you saw very clearly that uh, all of these new spaces that open up on this new platform of funding independent artists run spaces um they all sort of started popping up also in this map there was a wave there yeah which was quite interesting the fact that there was the state decided we're going to fund this concept this idea and it's true there was just like a huge amount of spaces all of a sudden that popped up and uh and you guys were part of that right it was Mm -hmm. around the same time and now we're seeing that they're almost all closing Mm. But we'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, yeah, it is. Um, but at the same time, I think like it's interesting that the first Fridays concept didn't really take off. I mean, that's such a huge thing in London. It's also a big thing in uh, San Francisco has a version of it. Um, that's the kind of one I know. There is, I'm sure LA has one too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they, they have the art walk yeah. Yeah. in downtown and stuff. I was just focusing on this part because it, it, I don't even know if we've collected those maps that we published. If we oh, have, I have some. some. It's just if you just saw them as documents mm-hmm. of like, you know, uh, I've talked to urban planners in Copenhagen. They, they've, they've told me from the city, they told me that uh, right around, I think it was 2012 or 2013, a thousand people started arriving to Copenhagen mm-hmm. per month. Whoa! So there's been a mm-hmm. huge density uh, exp- uh, 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 problem for the city, and uh, uh, you all, all of a sudden see that the opening of Sudhavn, mm-hmm. uh, which is opened up to actually a lot of development. Right, the former harbor area has yeah. tons of new apartments down there, and there's been uh, some incredible developments there. Uh, uh, mainly, also Alborg University moved a campus there, and that, that kind of legitimized that area. And right, yeah, TVC and built their headquarters. So, what you referred to around yeah. uh, First Friday and that whole Ama area was also that the commercial spaces pulled themselves out of the area. Right. It that, wasn't, it, I think, for business reason, uh, it didn't work out. Right. Um, right. So. It went from being, uh, I think, around 13, 14 partners to being um, two pa- partners, us and Hotel Performer, which is an old historic um, performance. They're great. They're uh, absolutely great. 
great place and us and that was strong in itself but but two <laughs> two partners didn't really couldn't carry the whole thing uh, represent what the what the project was initiated uh, to do um, and uh, I don't have a feeling that 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 area has come back to that state ever since it started to since people started to move out yeah um, well at least not the street level face of it there has no. there still is uh, some you know Niels Borg Jensen's down there there's a lot of studios a lot of musicians a couple of there. film studios absolutely, absolutely. there just but isn't the public, that public interface there's yeah. not the public access to to viewing uh, Art. Well, it's funny. I've been here for 10 years and I've seen it. Like, I got here right when Velbu was happening, oh, yes, yes. Uh, which was another part, of, kind of a little bit outside of town, which had a building with a bunch of galleries in it, um, which collapsed with, yeah. the, with, the, with, with, the, with the with the crisis. And I was I moved to Velbu when I first came to Copenhagen. Okay, yeah. We were like, oh, sick. There's like a whole <laughs> building thing happening here. And then, and then all of a sudden, everything contracted. Yeah. Wow. It said it collapsed, went back down. And then in 2010, it started to kind of come again. Coming out again. With, and with now it was then kind of florist from. Exactly. And now it contracted again. I think we're maybe on the expansion side again, hopefully. In Velbu. Well, just no. in general, oh, like okay. again, that 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 map you were talking about, that circumference, mm. is hopefully growing again. I mean, there's some galleries that opened out in Norvest, yeah. that's helping kind of decentralize things a little bit. Yeah, but that that uh, was what was going is that what I was just trying to say is that like the uh, the shift, the very quick shift in population that's happened in the city, and also the way we understand it, uh, like '68 uh, uh, was very much like caught in that float and the nice thing is that somehow we ended up in center mm -hmm. but and then that's that's when you open up the space uh, um, by the beginning 2015 is like you know nice and fresh painted and ready to go right but uh, uh, when when you 14 yeah the end of no. 2014 yeah. Yeah. beginning 2015 but um, at that time, I I I don't remember. But you you did you bring some of the programming that that we were supposed yes, to have at Art yes. Space, and then they come, came yeah, over downtown. Yeah. Like um, I think a lot of people will relate to '68 uh, as a place where uh, artists would have duro shows because that's mainly what I did most. Uh, not in the very beginning, beginning of the program. Actually, the beginning of the program looks a bit more like the program uh, is now because in the beginning we invited <coughs> excuse me also artists to curate and curators from abroad came from london to curate and it was and then some 68 productions and then there was uh, a period where it was more uh, based on these duro shows that i did and that program continued yeah. I think, uh, when we moved to the city until we then applied for the program that we are we are um, unfolding now hmm. Which is again, uh, some productions are made um, together with 68, and others are completely given over to external artists or curators. So. I just wanted to quickly contextualize when did you get involved, Hugo? Uh, well, it happened in a very nice and uh, very magical way. I, 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 I was uh, kind of just minding my own business in Copenhagen, <laughs> and uh, I met uh, Chris, and even uh, at an opening here at at the former emo, mm -hmm. was emo right? mm -hmm. which is out there um uh and um and they came to do a visit studio visit 
And then uh, they asked me to do a show. Um, and this was around 2012. Yeah. So I just really liked what uh, I understood very quickly what uh, what even was sort of uh, focusing on. And um, what I did is I sort of uh, uh, I worked mainly with Chris on the exhibition because even was out of town. Mm. But the um, what I did is I, I gave him a, a very like I will say high quality museum like show uh, for the space. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on developing the pieces, the presentation, uh, and work with a Danish artist, uh, Palin Nielsen, uh, his, his, uh, historical, uh, a very important artist from the Copenhagen art scene from the sixties. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, uh, and, um, but, uh, what ended up happening was that the, the, the show looked just, it just, I think it would look very good. And, uh, and it, it, it was, it, it was at the, the quality of the show that I wanted to g- I gave the space was in, in part with other exhibitions I had done outside in, in much more already established in professional places. Because I, I, I could see very clearly that, that, that even had organized like a very, very clear program of bringing so many different elements from all over Europe and also from the Nordic region. And, and it, it was like the, you could see the, that there was a seed of something very interesting happening. Mm-hmm. So that's when I committed to the space and I just kind of, uh, sort of by association, uh, 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 I began to sort of just sort of follow them and support them and every which way, they, every time they, they needed something from, uh, some discussion, some ideas, maybe propose mm-hmm. somebody, etc. But then uh, 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 in 2015, and maybe this is the segue into the closing downs of all these spaces. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, uh, there was kind of like a chaos, uh, you know, apocalyptic <laughs> wide level city wide level event in in artist run spaces where mm-hmm. the meteorite was coming and what we're going to do to basically survive this extinction, right? Yeah. So we began having long workshops uh, at my house, like really long workshops. And, we, and, and then, and then uh, even was like outlining all of her uh, uh, strategic vision for what she wanted to do. But also, as you yeah. say, the concerns, the uh, concerns. for um, the kinds of precarities that surrounds the economies for middle spaces. Uh, exactly. Despite, of course, the great funding that we have in Denmark, it's still... Um, it doesn't mean you can relax. No, no, exactly. Yeah. And I, of course, th- this reflects also this moment of uh, a lot of um, spaces closing down. And I remember at the time, I had a lot of conversations with different people around, um, you know, how can there be uh, almost a desire to invest in something that gets, gets lost? Because right. that's how I felt it, that there was a constant sort of... Uh, from from different um, elements, a wish to support the startup, uh, but only on a very sort of brief moment, and then right. um, all of the knowledge, all of the experience would would drop over and over and over again. Right. And uh, and that's also what we talked a lot about. How you know? How do you, in a place like Copenhagen, try to reframe in a way uh, where you try to signal to the world that uh, that we need uh, a stable structure, not a normed one, uh, but a stable uh, s- uh, space that has a, a future and a orientated towards future goals. Right. Mm. A long-term vision. Long-term. 
Well, I guess I guess a little contextualization is the right thing. What happened was the state, if I understand it correctly, the state announced the desire to invest in artist-run spaces. They did so for a number of years, and then they just pulled the rug out. They said, well, we're not doing the, this anymore. I, I, I will characterize it more that you had uh, already a very well-developed population of artists in, in, in the country, and they, they needed to very quickly, because we have this problem of jobs in arts in Scandinavia, uh, the idea of creating the investment in the spaces uh, was a way to kind of give all of these young artists that came out of school a postgraduate shot at actually socializing and connecting with each other and actually showing each other and kind of creating this like, you know, this kind of like small incubation ex- examples. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it, 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 I would say, besides the fact that you had to go through a review to sort of get funding, like say when you applied for it, it was fairly democratic that the shot that uh, everybody was able to apply for these and kind of come up with a grant for a, a concept in a space. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's you like got a pilot grant almost. Yeah, it was a pilot grant. I mean, right. it, it was seed money, of course. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't like this. This is the thing I want to clear up about Copenhagen money is that there is money, but they're also at the same time. It was, it's not like it's like flushed. Where you know, like a limo comes to pick up the the artist and then take some papers, crystal glass. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) It's. I mean, any any artist that comes out of Minnesota or or uh, that lives in Minneapolis and sees how healthy some of the Minneapolis art scene is, and you're from LA and you're just like, what? What? You got money to run the space in the United States? That's crazy. So because you have a very nice. Government, well, at least I, I, at least from the periods that I'm talking about before 2010, mm-hmm. I don't know how it is now. But the thing is, here in Copenhagen, it was like, at a, and also in other parts of Denmark, there's that the Arts Council has been looking as to how to support it. Now, in that process, uh, of course, there was some grants to apply, but the identity of the project, uh, and that's how I got involved, was to not just apply to become the same situation again. So they will, they will be vulnerable again in three, two or three years again. It's a cycling. It's a cycling. Right. So it doesn't actually have any long-term kind of vision for how to support. Exactly. It's more just like, try it out and then we'll see what happens. And you know. and therefore I, you could sort of say that there are so many places closed down and I, I would I will safely safely make the assumption because I haven't spoken to every single space. I've spoken to half of them, but all of them, all of them uh, came. At least, I could say that if I could summarize their, their or abbreviate their thoughts, was that okay? We we really wanted to do this. We've learned the process. We we learned we 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 like the process based aspect of making art, helping out our peers, putting out work. But we don't want to be their gallerist. Right. We don't want to be the people that basically promote the next person under us or next to us or or parallel to us. Right. Because the cohort is that I am an artist and I want to move to right. to like another, the same horizon that they're moving, and I'm seeing myself more as like an administrator. And everybody's putting in 
crazy hours to get okay. these projects off the ground. Mm-hmm. No one's making any money. Exactly. It's enough to they have to use their own money perhaps to run the space, but no one's getting a wage. No one's getting anything for their time except mm-hmm. for the experience. And then that's where it even comes in that she she really clearly saw this as like a way to create knowledge mm-hmm. and then the investment is okay if we're gonna be spending this amount of time, we have to generate knowledge. And so I, I, I really of course I got very excited about that because I, I felt that there was a, a very clear understanding of how to do this hmm. because that now when we're talking about it, actually that we're developing artistic and curatorial knowledge, then therefore we can actually create a development program, a cultural development program around that. Mm, perhaps knowledge, but also uh, the word research has been uh, one conception that we have used a lot recently in regards to the new program because um a lot of the projects are research propositions and the way that the program has been composed uh, is connected to uh, people who has already invested a lot of uh, time in their practice, in their work, um, uh, individually defining uh, a research proposition or an, a knowledge definition. But um, we've sort of tried to particularly uh, invest in people who has uh, put forward these propositions. Mm. And what ex- how would you define a research proposition exactly? Well, you've been looking through a couple of the books here. Uh, of course, it varies from an artist, uh, an artistic research and a curatorial research. It's not the, exactly the same, but of course, there's a lot of crossovers uh, between the ways that uh, artists and curators can work separately or, or together. Um, but often the the research has a center that the curator or the artist has been uh, examining for a longer period. Has um, for the cu- I'm, I'm going to maybe talk mostly about how it is for a curator because that's most familiar to me. Um, but in a kind of survey um, style, uh, a curator would look at different practices that would uh, f- form the research position. So um, let's say there's an artist working with a specific uh, political concerns uh, in contemporary culture, then a curator would start to look at that single practice, but also look at other practices to compare. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does artists um, diversify, nuance, and complex this uh, particular questions that uh, I saw in this one practice? Um, so, And then from there, there's tons of methods for curators to compose research. And uh, I cannot sit and say... This is uh, the methods used because, in that way, it it has the the, the base from uh, from the historic uh, uh, position of artistic research, uh, which has a an, a non-academic um, uh, way of uh, of not leading to knowledge or conclusions uh, necessarily. There's no dissertation. At least. No, no, exactly. <laughs> so that's why it's uh, these definitions are always uh, bounced back and forth, I think, right. within the art world, because they, they often conflict a little bit uh, uh, the potentials uh, within art. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, knowledge is not uh, created. Of course, there's a lot of knowledge created. Of course, research propositions leads to... Um, a lot of artistic knowledge right. that curators or artists compose, and uh, and that's what uh, what I've been interested in trying to create platforms a mm. platform for. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, it's it's it would be uh, I think uh, 
strange to, I think we have tried to create a, an open door policy to ask artists and curators, what is uh, artistic and curatorial uh, research? What is, right. what is it in Copenhagen? What is it when it's a small scale um, organization, platform, institute like ours? What does it mean when you take it to this scale, to this audience? Uh, because uh, it's also linked to production, it's linked to practice. And uh, the, the um, things that was great about moving into a smaller space because the space in Amma was actually much bigger uh, was that we could start uh, producing exhibitions that were uh, actually very different because the concentration of the work um, became less and more concentrated, I think. Um, The audience came closer and maybe uh, the audience felt a little bit... um, more comfortable uh, with the room, with the way that they were challenged uh, by the exhibition. Yeah, exactly. And I think it helps for um, challenging uh, propositions to have, uh, or or at least I think in in 68's case, it's helped for us to not have a large-scale exhibition room with big works, uh, with a lot of uh, visual uh, representation, representation, Mm. but a more... um, a different kind of a logic for presenting and thinking around art. Right. Which it sounds like you guys leave fairly open. It's not so much a matter of a personal, uh, let's just say curatorial vision. It's more of a platform and using the platform to, to reach out to others and hear what they're doing. That's a good way of describing it. I, 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 the thing is that, uh, when we finished the workshops, uh, uh, in the summer of 2015 t- to figure out where we were going to go with all this. The only outlet that we felt comfortable was to really re- refocus after this whole history of institutional critique mm-hmm. and actually really taking on the challenge of, of basically developing an institution. Because that, that was the organizational typology that we felt was uh, the, the clearest structure in which we can broker both political and cultural support and also, uh, uh, also like international interface, so we could uh, so we could be able to create this stage and, and this platform you're talking about, mm. and and then all at at the same time, um, kind of like get rid of some like twenty twentieth century practices in the space, in in the in the white cube, let's call it. So we we've kind of like sort of jettisoned the white cube. Yeah. And we're focusing now on the actual politics of installation, the politics of of of, of exchange and, and the diplomacy that is occurring between an artist and a curator, which we are arguing that there's a there is a knowledge that's also developing in co creation between a curator and an artist, which is which is not acknowledged really like say in the commercial blue chip art world. Absolutely. But I was just going to add that uh, that a lot of this actually also came from moving into this room because um, the the room itself, uh, in a strange way, resists to a certain rationality. And we as uh, artists and, and curators are somehow taught uh, a very strict um, strict um, uh, displaying, but also mounting practice uh, that that uh, follows a lot of. Uh, 
formal uh, aspects and a lot of uh, very, very detailed uh, calculation that I felt was, in a, in a strange way, really contrasting a lot of the critique or a lot of the, the different propositions that artists wants to uh, position themselves in, you know, critiquing uh, modernity and all of these things, but we still somehow practice it, practice it. But then the room we have in Waldendorf scale is... Uh, is so old, it's from uh, uh, 1732, um, which means the building has uh, collapsed a bit to one right, side. It's settled a bit. It's settled a bit. And if you try to use uh, calculation and measurement tools and uh, what's it called? There's levels? no straight line. Yeah, levels. 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 Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work. Right. And I have to tell people when we work there, oh, yeah, you can, you can do that, but you have to use your eyes uh, and you have to look at what you're doing right. and uh, how it relates. There. There's nothing straight. And it does something to, <coughs> I think, I believe both to audience and, and to the people who come and work there. Um, right. It's a protected building, right? There's rules about what you can do and can't do to that. Not so space. much inside. The facade is, uh, is uh, listed and, yeah. uh, and that one we can, of course, not touch, but no inside touch. we have the freedom to do. Okay. Okay. Um, mainly what we can do. It's more about the, um, the way the space is not a straight uh, dimension or um, doesn't, it doesn't uh, correspond with your rationality. Right. It right. has its own life. Yeah. But, but, that, but that, that's very important. I mean, is that the, the thing is, it is, this is one of the primary codes of, of our presentation that, that established in the 20th century. And then, and then the, the space basically really just resists that. I mean, if, if buildings could be called queer <laughs> uh, structures, we have a queer building. So you have so, a non-binary space, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, who is getting politically correct? Exactly. Now. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, and, and then at the same time, we we have a very uh, interesting sort of setup that's developed out of this, which is in this program we've launched uh, these for these next two years. What one of the things that um, we wanted to really think of is like, okay, what are the shows doing here to actually create bonds cross institutionally with other mm -hmm. institutes in the city or internationally? Mm -hmm. So when we discuss it with the curators coming in and the artists coming in, uh, in many ways, we're trying to relieve their, their anxiety of having like a fully finished exhibition because we're seeing these more as prototypes or as part of the research um, in, in, in uh, say, uh, an institute like the Caddis Foundation in Paris or somebody like that, uh, or another institute in Denmark or in Norway, somebody that's interested in what actually happened in that show and may end up inviting this artist and the curator or artist to actually take the same show into again and now fully develop it. Mm. But we're hoping that the research... And all the beautiful things that actually sort of went into actually organizing this can somehow also be uh, be sustainable in the sense that it, that, that the idea wasn't just sort of flushed out in one month, and then uh, that's it. We don't need to right. sort of Thank see you. this. Thank you. <laughs> and and then this is also again part of the the the, the what I think is interesting about the the uh, intellectual aspect of designing a program, which is that there's it is about thinking of the long term the longevity and the sustainability of like what are uh, the exhibitions are what are they aimed for right and so we really want to have this cross institutional communication and then therefore that's another way of creating diversity in the city um because uh um not necessarily everything has to be new 
but things have to be reconsidered and then, and then repositing a show in another area in another, uh, in another space could lead to actually really restructuring or correcting like misconceptions, both in research and also in, in the way that the art object is actually being constructed. Mm. As an artist, I, I see this as like tremendously useful, specifically in a process oriented uh, sort of, or a post medium specific environment, you know, where everybody's working with a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, so I, I, and because I got, we, we have such a de-skilled way of working today. Um, th this kind of allows us to reconsider like where are the, where the skill and concentration is going to be right. hired to actually finalize an object. That makes, that's, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I really want, like, while you were just saying that, the thing that popped into my mind is that you were doing a huge service for the individual artist by focusing upon these connections and networks and uh, transfer of knowledge. Because it is often the case, especially in a world as pressured as the art world, where everybody's kind of has to worry about their own ass first. Uh, where am I going to, where's the next job coming from? Where am I going to do this? You know, that often these collaborations do just dissipate afterwards. You may be able to call them in the future, but whatever was created during that union can often just dissolve and disappear. And that's the fear an artist might have too. If this doesn't go somewhere, what am I going to do? You know, what's going to happen next, et cetera. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, uh we brought, for example, a researcher from Mexico City that wanted to talk about emotional communities. Uh, uh, she, she was incidentally plugged into the space because of all the research we got going. But uh, after she made her whole presentation about what these are, it became very obvious that like organizing shows once a month uh, on an ongoing basis is you're developing this instantaneous emotional communities around ideas. Right. And uh, each time you could see it more and more as to the level of delicate investment each of the curators and the artists would basically give to it. So, of course, uh, as an artist, I can't say about as a curator, I, I, I can't fall into this category, even though I have curated for a while. <laughs> but I, I, and as an artist, I will say that the one of the very few rewards <coughs> you get, because uh, um, it's kind of like the euphoria that you feel the people are falling into like that they're successfully achieving some of the things that they want. And, and since these are not my objects, this is not my artwork, but rather it's just a community that that's like basically producing uh, their ideas and trying to sort of like model them in this, this very small space. We, we, uh, we, we, we're hoping that they're getting like uh, uh, something out of it, which is actually some, uh, some sense of movement outside of this stagnation, which is, you know, kind of like the, overall problem in all of Europe right now, you know, in terms of uh, moving forward. And I, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But I also think because in a sense we do, of course the program sort of varies and we have um, curators and artists of, of different ages and, but there is a, maybe a, a little bit tendency that it's younger people that we work with. And uh, I think it's also a nice uh, challenge to your practice uh, to be in, in exactly this intellectual uh, uh, collaboration uh, community um, for a while, for for someone else to uh, to interpret, uh, have conversation around your practice, and and vice versa, because it's definitely fruitful for curators, uh, because in a sense the artist can can always help the curator to um, 
to nuance the proposition because some curators doesn't take a a, a very uh, thematic or, or narrative kind of uh, overlayer. Others do that can vary, but uh, but that exchange, I believe that I believe that there is a potential for both people uh, to develop a new knowledge position actually from the conversation, from shared re- research uh, that goes into that specific production, and. Uh, yeah, we have never um, actually done solo presentations uh, at 68 because I always felt that there was a lot of uh, platforms in the city for the solo presentation. And I think it's great for an artist to have a solo presentation. I think it's important and uh, it does something very specific for the artist's career. But the the group show or the, the duro show or the model where where your practice is situated uh, amongst your peers is also important. And it's also important that, uh, uh, that both artists and curators open up to each other's uh, critiques so that uh, essentially by the end of the production, people feel like they have a, a better idea of uh, the material that they are uh, working with or researching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things I th- thought about a lot after I went down and met you and, 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 is the idea about this research because I think the word research in the arts is a abused word often. Mm. A lot of people talk about research with a very undefined idea what that is. And instead, Hugo, you were telling me more about the long-term plans and the the as far as I understood it, you guys actually had some certain specific goals you were working towards through research. And and what I compared that to other times I've heard the word research, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody, at least personally, say we're working towards solving this or getting here or uh, answering this, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that that's one of the things that's very much attracted me to what you do is the idea that you kind of have a little bit more focus when you research is not just an, a, a, a word that's bandied about. <laughs> it's an actual practice mm. I, 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 I'm going to try to attempt in your podcast to like once and for all like put this to rest yes and, and let's then, do this then your, your podcast could somehow like puncture into the universe but this is the thing I I, I, I find so mystical about the way people use uh, the word research because really it just comes down to research as a methodology mm. it's one of the tools kids in, in an artist's uh, overall sort of way of practice and so, um, even in the curators, and then what we are seeing, uh, even in I've been spending in this in this uh, mini think tank that she and I have going, is that we are uh, we are influencing each other. And rather than me holding on to my position as an artist, like the sole creator, I, I realize like how creative even is, and like how uh, the her research ideas are actually influencing my way of thinking. And so, I can't solely just sort of go into this like independent position and say, oh, in my autonomy is actually not being influenced. I am actually sort of like the soul the other holder, way around, <laughs> et cetera. And I, the other way, of course, but I'm, I'm, I'm using myself as a model and mm-hmm. explaining that basically like what's happening is that in the exploration, which is what we mean by research in the, uh, in, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the old sense of the word, uh, in the arts is that we're sort of finding out exactly what is it that we actually are trying to achieve within the, the, the subjects or objects that we're seeking to make. So in this methodology that we're trying to say is like, okay, what are the products that come out of that? Like, what do we want to have in, say, 10 years from now? Uh, what do we want to see in terms of, like, uh, 
not being an existential threat, for example, to the galleries. We, we want to support the galleries in the city. We want to support research products that will actually make it very clear to politicians that we're not just about gentrifying uh, areas of the city. We're not about basically sort of trying to, to brand new neoliberal city so everybody's sort of like happy saying, oh, this is great what they're doing in Copenhagen. We're actually trying to sort of tap in into the existing ecology of art that's sort of maintaining the relevance of art, but we're trying to sort of give it access to today. Like what is what is the contemporaneity of the project? It has to do with that we're, we're trying to clean up the relations And second of all, we, we're not trying to create socialistic experiments in the gallery just so we could just have good pictures that could say, hey, people come to our events. Mm -hmm. But that actually that the people actually experiencing this will um, sort of open up to a new way of sort of sort of saying, uh, you know what, these people are investing in memory. Like what it, what I what it, how is this memory memory presented is not just discursive and and it's not just immersive it's 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 also holographic like in other words like we would like people to kind of come into the hologram that is sixty eight and then sort of walk out of there with like uh, the various tools we're trying to just provide uh, you know society in that sense does that the, hope, and, I hope that makes sense yeah makes, and also I think the, the way that the program actually diversify uh, in in the way that research is understood. You can see examples of it here uh, from a curatorial collective in London uh, from content working in a very specific narrative uh, um, curatorial proposition around narratives to an individual curator here to artist propositions like I think uh, the, the danger sometimes within this uh, fairly new uh, discourse of curating um, It's only uh, an academic structure from the 90s. It's only been um, sort of uh, written up uh, in books since 80s. Of course, the practice is, is older, but but sort of the um, the formalization of curatorial uh, practice is fairly new. And I think sometimes the danger of it is that uh, there is such a there can be such a, a wish to really define your positions uh, within it. Uh, Um, to brand almost. To brand it almost, yes. And there's a market also for the uh, the knowledge that uh, is created around it. But uh, but I am in a different way more interested in uh, actually trying to uh, dissolve a little bit um, uh, the big uh, kind of juncture between artist and curator and say, why don't we um, dissolve that uh, dual uh, constellation just a little bit to open up the potentials? Because, of course, there's been these very um, important and interesting in essays written about uh, how curators uh, overtake or work without. Uh, there's one called Art Without Artist and so forth. Um, important writings, but it also in some, say, some sense maybe uh, helped to stimulate these uh, more um, fragmented uh, productions, mm -hmm. uh, which I think um, we should try and figure out a better way to, to work with the potential, I believe, is actually there. Uh, and whether it's uh, the artist uh, initiating the concept, inviting the curator in later, or the other way around, it, it's not so important. I think it's, it's more uh, what I wish for the space to, to examine, I would say. Yeah. And, and just some practical things in terms of like these uh, these uh, goals that we have. Then 
that that's where the institute comes out of. So we we pu- we yeah. we publicly announced it uh, that we were changing the name from 68 Art Space to 68 Art Institute, and we generated a press release which. Uh, we thought it was just a press release, but some people are coming back to us saying that it's a manifesto. So we, by naively, by default, constructed a press release that entered this, this other realm. And, That's a good uh, press release. It, I, 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 I think <laughs> but it did entail strong language. Not strong, but mm. at least like... Um, <coughs> it was clearer. To, yeah, trying to tackle and, and speak out some of the uh, positions that we thought needed a, a rethink mm-hmm. um, right and, and and we just we, we've been developing an organizational structure that we want to invest on long term like uh, I mean I'm kind of I, I'm a, we, we form an advisory board with really great people uh, as an advisor I'm kind of acting like as an interim director of development or if you want to think about that or an, or, a, or, or a person that's assisting with the, the, the strategic vision of the place but the even is very much the director of the entire uh, project. And so by, by this, I mean, is that we in, internally with Chris also acting as both like a curator and also like a, like a really like a editor in chief of, of, of communication and also writing and stuff. And it's just, we are very much focused on, on, on sort of developing the positions uh, where I, as an artist that's making this time investment, whenever even wants to step down, uh, we can hand over a very healthy, mm. very strong entity over to the next director for and whatever. The next generation as well. Exactly. I think it's important that it's not about creating a, a space for one generation or for one peer group. Um, right. Well, as these spaces often do, they last for a while. Someone has the impetus some, to start some, it yeah. and then they tend to close. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's nice to think uh, and with the name Institute to think of 68 as as a thing that is passed on by generation and generation. Which has a structure of its yeah. own. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm curious of before we wrap it up is also kind of the nuts and bolts, how the shows, how the actual collaborations come about. If you guys are soliciting proposals, if you guys are working through your own network and knowledge of of, of everything out there, uh, how exactly does the practical side of it work? If I can say, I think there's uh, there's two levels of it because I think what happened when we started to use the word uh, research, a lot of artists actually uh, came to 68 with uh, research propositions. Uh, of course, I think every space uh, always get proposals sent. It's normal practice. A lot of artists do it and they come from, from China or from all over. Uh, and sometimes they, they feel a bit detached. Uh, and, uh, but a lot of other proposals, uh, or, or just emails saying, um, uh, I read that you are beginning to work more in this, this research orientated way. My practice functions, uh, like this. Uh, I feel there's uh, something there. And then we would have different conversations with people. And this has in some cases also led to programming uh, outside of 68. Uh, so for example, uh, I'm working with uh, a proposal for uh, Ronetorn, which is kind of our neighbor, one of our institutional neighbors, mm-hmm. um, which is going very well. And they're very positive about it uh, with an artist called Helena Newman. And, and she just sort of uh, because of her practice being uh, research-based, uh, she just sort of picked it up. Uh, so that's one thing. And then, uh, of course, the program is uh, is composed. Um, 
as a combination of um, of people you read about, people you've seen shows of. Uh, the, the show we have up now is curated by Mette Kersko, a Danish curator, but she's been London-based. Um, and I've been, I didn't personally know her, uh, but I saw some of her shows in London. I thought she is a good um, a candidate for representing uh, what a Danish uh, curator um, educated abroad uh, can bring to diversify uh, the idea of what curating is God, for no, example we need that, yeah. and uh, and that's actually what i felt like a lot of the propositions are about some people i i know of course from uh, from different uh, constellations of uh, of conversation uh, because network is is also about exchanging uh, knowledge uh, positions and and so forth but it's it has been very important for me to not put together a program that favor uh, a specific um Style, if one could say, uh, a specific sort of. Um, 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 Your personal filter. Yeah, or uh, it had to it had to diversify, and I also thought it was important to invite, <coughs> um, uh, for example, Anja Franke. We have invited her into the program, mm-hmm. an established uh, artist and curator here, uh, who's been for many years really also diversifying what artistic propositions and research can be about. So I think I've. And together with you, we just really looked for um, people who has defined things in ways that we thought were interesting. In it's your own to research. How, how we wanted uh, the institute to uh, to yeah. develop, basically, because they come with something to us. We give we give something to them. They come with something to us. But they also shape the way uh, that we can think about the future for this place. So I think we've been sensitive towards uh, selecting people who. Um, who has bravely uh, taken those independent positions as curators and as artists because we're also working with an artistic collective. Um, yes, yes. yes. Uh, a camel collective uh, who are one of... Uh, Carla herrera Pratt. she's one of the people that uh, uh, is... Uh, the, one of the, the, the main people that started a... Um, Soma in Mexico City, mm. and then, but uh, they, she's based out of Brooklyn with, uh, and and uh, and so they're kind of both between Mexico City and New York, and and Camel Collective has been doing quite a lot of very interesting projects, and and and, and then and also, also artistic project that starts to also have a, a similarity with the curatorial uh, methodologies, mm-hmm. exactly. Or, like it's interesting to also uh, present. Uh, <laughs> Again, these uh, uh, nuances of how can these positions uh, shape one another and how do they change from one position to the other, which I right. think it chemical collective is also a good example of. Yeah, and then, I mean, the books that I gave you here, for example, Joel, I, he's, you know, he's, uh, we're really looking forward to his show as we're looking up to next uh, month's show, uh, which is Juicy Cotella. He's not only a member of our advisory board. He's also a, he was also someone that has been developing a project uh, that is very clearly rooted in curatorial research. He has been taking it to different institutions, and each chapter that he he considers them, and he's been developing into the next. And Yusi uh, was uh, educated an artist, uh, has an artist practice as well, and did curatorial later. Like <laughs> it's. These positions are... It's starting to dissolve yeah, these boundaries, yeah, yeah. these kind of, yeah. you know, towers. Yeah. These separate... But in practice and in production for the for the good of it, rather than it being this uh, power <laughs> positioning um, 
question, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've done an hour. <laughs> I could go on forever, I think, is the, is the impetus. But I think we're just going to have to say that we're just going to have to do another one in a year or two and hear how it's going because there's so much to talk about and I think what you guys are doing uh, what I appreciate so much about what you guys are doing is you have an on the ground approach to it whereas a lot of uh, kind of more formalized and theorized projects their feet don't touch the ground as often and that's where I can kind of lose interest in it because I want to see actual hands-on finished materialized things uh, and it's, so it's exhibition making exactly. uh, exhibition making is about uh, research and knowledge in all kinds of way but it's a practice of exhibition making which I think is also a, a healthy um, debate within the curatorial um, maybe a little bit more when curatorial also steps into museology and um, actually more theoretical positions that it can, in, in, in dangerous ways, forget about practice. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, so I, I agree very much with, with what you're saying. I, 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 I have a question for you. I mean, uh, we one of our one of our challenges is that we want to develop like uh, we want to develop a very uh, uh, we want to of course like any institute we want an engaged audience. We want people to come in. And want to basically feel welcome, and that they that that we created an aesthetic of hospitality that's like that is in proportion to how they're understanding art today. And so, like someone like you, that like is not only trying to develop a program like this, but also is sort of interested in what's going on in the art. Like, what's what's your experience? Of coming to 68 because I mean of course you came to see the space but you met me but it, I think it's very important how you uh, through your own experience view what we're doing because uh, that that's actually we could be in the room like working on how to basically do this but if we cannot have like a social contract with you oh, to get you interested sure. to come in that's what's actually happening with everybody else right well I think I'm actually probably a fairly good example because I kind of very strongly have my foot in both worlds. I'm an armchair uh, intellectual. I don't I don't read a lot of uh, articles and essays and stuff. I don't I don't engage so much with kind of a greater arts discourse. However, I am a practicing artist and I try as much as possible. Uh, I just, for whatever reason, the way my brain is wired, I have a hard time with chewing through a dense article. So I, I have the desire, but uh, some limitations, personal limitations. So my personal stepping stone is usually reaching out. Where I say, I've heard a lot about what you do. I haven't actually been able to do all that much research. And what I found was you guys were very responsive. So that, for me, is the first thing where I just say, hey, I'm here. Um, which then brought me into the space. Now, someone who comes from outside, I'm, if I just walked into the space first without introducing myself... I may have been a little put off, mostly because of essentially intellectual laziness, that I didn't have some sort of, it, it all would depend on the show, but I'm still kind of a little more conservative on the show by show level. And so I, I need to have the, the discussion we're having right now mm -hmm. to engage, because now I'm super engaged, but I may not have had a point of entry for engagement. Mm -hmm. And so that 
is where the fall off would be. Mm-hmm. Where's the entry point for the discussion? Because as soon as we start talking about it, it makes a world of sense to me. And I'm, I'm all of a sudden super excited, but I'm, I, you know, where's the entry point? And, and, and for me with a lot of my engagement with the arts, this show is actually the entry point. But if I hadn't personally taken the impetus to do this, mm-hmm. where would my entry point be? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing to think a lot about when workshopping it is like, how do you, uh, get the person to ask you a question? Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, and we've also developed a, dis- a discursive layer uh, of, of programming, public program, where we try to uh, do talks that are less... Uh, uh, of course, there's some sort of presentation or, or beginning to it, but we we value very much trying to create a more open uh, dialogue. And uh, what uh, I have experienced a lot uh, from being in other places, for example, in England, there's a much more... Um, People uh, very upfrontly just engage in the the discussions that are hosted at galleries or mm-hmm. art museums or wherever. There's always like lots of waving hands to to say something, to engage with the exciting speakers that are on. Where I felt sometimes also being a moderator here in Copenhagen, trying to um, invite other speakers in, that sometimes it takes longer time for the audience to open up. Um, There's a cultural thing about that. Yeah, too. and that's also totally okay. And again, I would say that. Hopefully that the intimacy that the talks at 68 uh, have, because it's uh, it's not room for that many uh, audience members at right, the time. Right. Uh, but also we see it as this kind of slow process where we've done this public programming and then we're seeing slowly how, how can we create a more, um, maybe more intimate space for speaking and thinking around art. Um, there's no doubt that it's 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 a hard proposition to your average person to come in and 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 it's not a hard proposition in that it's intellectually necessarily challenging uh I sometimes worry that I will not be able to kind of follow a, a some sort of discourse but it makes perfect sense to me everything we've talked about today um but i mean one interesting idea would be to do kind of more cross-disciplinary like uh my wife works in interaction design okay. yeah. and that is a, a in her field pretty much an educational and technological question but i mean their whole thing is how do you engage with a public if you're going to build an app if they decide within 10 seconds it's garbage you're going to lose over half your users right away, you know, and those kind of questions, you know, that kind of interdisciplinary reaching may help a platform like, like yours. Absolutely. But actually, uh, we have taken some, uh, cautious decisions not to actually have, uh, such a, a rapid and, uh, um, what could you say, overexposed uh, digital um, life. We do uh, Facebook and the website, but but they only output, uh, because I, I would like to insist that people also engage with the exhibitions, also the way that the space for its physicality can be documented, can be sure. seen. It's nice if people see some documentation that are fragments of it, uh, but actually come to, to see the show. And uh, But I... I hear what you're saying with the interdisciplinarity that uh, I think uh, is super, super exciting. Also, uh, when we think about um, not seeing uh, an art institute like like uh, like 68 or any other as only for artists, like right. a lot of uh, designers are working very critically with representation and, uh, and architects and others. So 
I'm not so afraid uh, of uh, of that. Um, and to some extent, the, some of the programming has also had these more interdisciplinary uh, invitations, especially yeah. the public program. I, I like the way you you bring up this question, like how you ask the question. Like, and 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 I mean, you know, natural history museums right now all over the world are are trying to take back the museums for adults away from children. So and and and, and so it, in a way that. That gets sort of like a new generation of adults interested in, in, in their spaces. Simultaneously, yes, I mean, we are a very small scale operation right now in the city that's just beginning to sort of, uh, sort of, uh, develop. Uh, but simultaneously, I think that what you've, had the way you've described yourself is very important, uh, to understand that we are, we are not trying to sort of, uh, sort of create a, a narrow exclusivity around the productions in the space. Mm-hmm. So we definitely we welcome, if you feel very engaged now, we welcome maybe like your listeners or other people that are actually are connected to you emotionally on the same level to actually want to also experience the thing. And the thing, the thing is that um, uh, we're not trying to sort of convince people about the value. We want them to want to ha- want the value yeah. of it. I think you that's know? a very good point. So, and, uh, and also uh, the way it, also dissimulate by itself i think sometimes like i'm not saying that we are not dissimulating we're doing a lot of work to to present the the text and the knowledge and and everything around it but it does also um dissimulate uh, itself yeah. um and uh, and that's because of journalists and art critics writing about it or simply artists uh, telling the world about uh, the productions they're doing plus we also get um invitations uh, or uh, propositions where um, there's these art tours that are actually for uh, a much uh, older or mm-hmm. elderly mm-hmm. Uh, sorry elderly uh, audience that mm-hmm. comes around yeah. um, it's, it's fantastic well know? I mean I think there's a lot of elements in it like you mentioned about the National History Museums these are questions that many many institutions and cultural uh, forces are dealing with how to engage with the audience and um, I have badgered the listeners of this show again and again and again through my own example that you're going to get as much as you put into it. So as long as you just even begin the process of engaging, you will find a world of of information and people who want to engage back with you. And then it's okay to come from a, a different point of view. Artists are getting to the point now where certain uh, tracks are, 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 are they're trying to break down these walls anyway. So you coming from outside and not having a, a, a knowledge beforehand or even just a vocabulary about art can be to everybody's advantage. It doesn't matter if you've been art school trained. I have, so I have uh, some of the vocabulary. I have some of the general concepts, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. There are, it's okay to ask uh, questions from a naive point of view, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, exhibition practice as visual output you know uh, that's uh, one of the great potentials within art you know you can you can view it uh, without reading it and be stimulated uh, from that and you can do both it's uh, mm-hmm. you can or you can exclude one part of it but there's many different levels to engage yeah. with and and you'll naturally be drawn more to some rather than others mm. and uh and 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 that's You know, literally my, like I said before, part of my practice as a human being interested in arts is making a podcast 
and it's enriched my life incredibly and my own practice because I ask questions. I just, I engage on this level, but it doesn't have to be something of this level. You can just go and show up and talk to people. That's literally all you need to do yes. and, and ask nice. questions. <laughs> yes. If you don't understand, ask because yeah, there is probably an answer. Yeah. yeah. If you're curious. Well, that's got to be the best place to leave it at this. <laughs> Thank you guys so much Thank for your you time. So much, Thank you. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Undergang Armchair. The intro and outro music is kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by David Hyde. You can find links to their music and tons of other conversations with great people on our research platform of a website, undergang.net. If you like this show, we would appreciate it if you take the time to leave a review on iTunes so others can find us. This show is produced in part with the kind support of the Danish Arts Council. Thank you so much for joining us.